If you have your Bibles, please turn to the book of Judges. We'll be looking at chapter 17 and 18 this morning. Sometimes you've got to wonder when you're someone like me that preaches two to three times a year. The pastor says, hey, you want to preach on this particular Sunday? And you read the passage and it's filled with all these things that people are doing wrong. And you wonder, what, what, what is my pastor trying to tell me? Does he think I have some particular issues that have not been dealt with? Uh, maybe that's the case. And as I was preparing, I, I uh, every once in a while will read some uh, Wendell Berry uh, articles and poems that he writes. And I read this little poem and I said, well, that would be good to use. That, that kind of fits. And I was like, no, you better not. It's going to bring up a weird song in people's minds. And it's going to distract them through the whole sermon. They can't help but think about that. So I'm not going to do it. And then I, you know, worked a little bit more on the sermon prep. And it just kind of kept popping in my head. And you know, that would be a good illustration just to kind of work all the way through. And I couldn't help myself. So I know a song is going to pop into your head, but bear with me. Put a short little poem by Wendell Berry. I know that I have life only insofar as I have love. I have no love except to come from thee. Help me, please, to carry this candle against the wind. I know the song is popping in your head, but let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, gracious Lord, Lord of the covenant, our God and our King, we thank you for this morning. We thank you for your word. We thank you that your word is true. Father, we pray, Holy Spirit, that you would come and give us eyes to see your truth, ears to hear. Please, Lord, let you be heard and not myself. Pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, I think Wendell Berry has a, a, a pretty good point here about this. This is what our, our love for God is like. It's like this little candle. And we're trying to guard it against the wind, the wind of the cares of this life, the winds of our sin that tend to blow on it, trickle it. Anybody that's ever tried to light a match or a fire in the middle of wind outside, maybe Fourth of July, you're trying to light fireworks and the wind keeps blowing it out. That's what our life sometimes is like, our Christian life. It's, we, we want this candle, this love for God to be lit, but it, it's hard because of the world around us continues to crush it down. And as we look at this passage of Judges, we've got to think about the context. What, what are these things that, that should have been on the people's mind that weren't, that might have guarded them from letting their passion, their love, their, their desire for their one true love, their love of God to be flickered out? When we look at this passage, we'll see a personal sin and how that moves to a family sin and ultimately the sin of an entire tribe. Before I begin reading through this section, though, I, I want to just remind you of a few passages that should have been so well known within the people of God that they would have said them to themselves almost daily. They would have understood these to be the, the core of their beliefs as they claimed to be an Israelite. Think of Deuteronomy 6, 4 through 9. The Shema, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. And these words I have commanded you to this day shall be on your heart. 
You shall teach them to your children and talk to them and sit in the house. And when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise up, you shall bind them as a sign on your hand. And they shall be on the frontlets of your eyes. You shall write them on the doorpost and on the house of your gates. What kind of laws was he talking about? Maybe he was thinking about in the Deuteronomy passage of Leviticus 26, where it says that you shall not make idols for yourself or erect an image or a pillar that you should not set this figure of stone in your land or bow down to it. For I am the Lord, your God. You shall keep my Sabbath and revere my sanctuary. I am the Lord. Maybe they should have reminded themselves of the blessings and the curses of the covenant. These were the covenant people of God. And, and Judges serves as this great bridge, right, from Joshua to the time when they have a king. And, you know, the exact historical context is a little bit tricky, but it should have reminded them that as a covenant people of God, he's given us certain promises of blessing and curses. And these should have been in their mind and upon their hearts as they lived and searched to go throughout in the land, the land of God's blessing. Leviticus 26.40 says this, But if they confess with their iniquity and the fathers and their treachery they have committed against me, and they shall walk contrary to me, so I will walk contrary to them and who have brought them in the land. That they have these warnings. If you, you know, just for fun later today, just read through Leviticus 26. It's always good to look at these curses. You know, and the reason I really read that Wendell Berry's poem is because I don't want to come off as too fiery and brimstone this morning. We might get there, though. But there's all these blessings and these curses of the covenant. They're the covenant people of God, and they should have realized that. And yet, they're flame for their desire to love the Lord their God with all their heart and with all their mind and with all their soul and be committed to... These covenant statutes flickered out very fast. We find out later in the passage that we'll look at today that even Moses' own descendants have fallen into this great sin of idolatry and of worshiping and serving and idols and other gods. How could just a few generations later fall into such sin? How could they let their love go away? But the Lord reminds them even in Deuteronomy 7, 6 through 11. For you are a people holy to the Lord your God. The Lord your God has chosen you to be a people, a treasure possession out of all the peoples on the earth. That the Lord God has set his love upon you and he chose you. You are the fewest of the people. And skipping down. Know, therefore, that the Lord your God is a faithful God who keeps his covenant and his steadfast love. And for those who love him and keep his commandments to a thousand generations, and he repays to the face those who hate him by destroying them. You know, you, you begin to wonder and you look at these stories and you start to say, what? why didn't they get it? And then we forget to look at ourselves. As we look at this passage, we'll have this four major headings here. We'll, we'll see that the people of God at this time, during this time of Judges, suffered from the issues of religion over repentance, invention over conviction, convenience over devotion, and conquest over faithfulness. There's a little on uh, page 16 of your bulletin if you want to take notes. First, let's look at the start of the story. Read with me in Judges. Is that okay? Is that on? Am I off? Sorry. All right, Judges 17. 
Now, there was a man in the hill country of Ephraim. His name was Micah. And he said to his mother, the, one, the 1,100 pieces of silver that were taken from you, about which you uttered the curse, and also spoken in my ears, behold, the silver is with me. I took it. And his mother said, Blessed be my son of the Lord, and he is restored the 1,100 pieces of silver to his mother. And his mother said, I dedicate the silver to the Lord by my hand and my son to make a carved image and a metal image. Now, therefore, I will restore to you. So when he restored the money to his mother, his mother took the 200 pieces of silver and gave it to the silversmith, who made it into a carved image, a metal image. And it was in the house of Micah. And Micah had a shrine, and he made an epi- This one on now? All right, let's try this again. Let's start all over. So anyway, I was this week, as I was preparing for this sermon, I was reading through Wendell Berry. And no, let's just start where we're at. So anyway, we have this story. It's a fairly strange little story, isn't it? That, so obviously this guy, Micah, stole a little money from his mom. And his mom did a little curse. Cursed is anybody who, who ever stole this money from me. And Micah's like, uh-oh. Kind of that guilt and that conscience. Right? We know that the law of God is written upon every human heart. And so that, that guilt and that conscience may be stirring up in him a little bit. And so he kind of fessed up. I kind of know what Micah was going through. My, I, I began to tell this story to my wife this morning. She told me not to use this illustration, but... Hey, since we've you know, blown everything else out of the water so far, let's just go with it. When I was about, I don't know, probably nine years old. Now she's telling my daughter not to listen. <laughs> you know, when we go to school, mom would always be like, you know, uh, go, go get you know, your $2 or your dollar for lunch out of my purse so that you have some money for lunch. And, and one of my brothers gave me an idea once. She's like, hey, sometimes when you know, mom tells you to get that dollar, you, you, know, you can always take couple more you know then, then you have some extra money for the arcade and one day i thought you know i did that and took an extra dollar no no one noticed another time i was in there i was like Ooh, there's a 10 that's ten dollars i can take my one and the ten dollars so i took that ten dollars and i knew this was back in the days where kids could just walk home from school and people didn't like like totally freak out and I knew if I left right after that third, th- that three o'clock bell and ran to the liquor store that would let kids in because there was a video game, I could sit there and play that video game for a good 15 to 20 minutes and still get home before the bus would drop me off. You know, so, of course, I ran as fast as I could as soon as that bell went to the store. I think it was... Uh, was it Cougar or Corker? It was a little video game with a guy with a weird head, and you bounced up the triangle squares. You know, you got all the squares, all the squares before you got hit, and then the thing went away. Some guys are, yeah, I remember that. It's old, you young guys, don't worry. We, we used to play weird video games. And so I got home scot-free, feeling good about myself. Spent about $5 in quarters, played some video games. You know, my mom didn't, wasn't going to be home till 6 or 7, you know. I mean, I probably stayed there an hour. It was wonderful. Then one of my brothers says, hey, mom called. Um, there was $10 missing from her purse, and she's pretty sure you did it. <laughs> so I know what Micah probably felt between, that was probably maybe 
4 o'clock, 4.30, and my mom would come. I remember looking out the window. I never looked out the window for mom to arrive, but I sat there and looked out the window. My mom pulls up, and she looks right up at my window. I'm never looking up, but she looked right up. She just, like, knew that I was there. And I, would, I just remember the tension in my heart as she walked in. You took that $10 out of my purse this morning, didn't you? Yes, ma'am. And I got the biggest beating. I think, ow, I think it just hurt just now, just thinking about it. I think I just felt it again. It, it wasn't fun. It was pure torture. Kids, you still, you get beatings. Bad stuff happens. Not a good idea. A few minutes of video games, not worth it. Hopefully that'll get me off the hook when on the ride home. But was I repentant? Well, think about this moment that, that I got caught. Mom comes in. Did you steal the $10? I know she knows that I took the $10. Micah probably knew. You get the sense that maybe the mom uttered this curse trying to hey, you know, you're the only one in my house. So who's probably took the money? Was he repenting? Was, oh, yeah, I have that. No. You know, this wasn't true repentance and devotion. He didn't, as we look in the Deuteronomy verses, humble himself before the Lord his God. He didn't say, I have sinned against you and the Lord my God. Please have mercy on me. It's like, no, I've got these 11. And how did the mom respond when she realizes that that sin was in her house? Did she punish him? Did she go to the Lord and inquire the Lord on how she should go or how she should deal with this reality? She goes, no, let's get some religion. Because that's what sometimes people do whenever trouble hits a household. Right? Let's cover it up. Let's, let's, you know, if we go to church a lot, if we come, why don't we just start our own religious service? Why don't we take this money and say we dedicate it to the Lord and make a carved image and we can have our own little worship style and that maybe will stop us from having issues in our house. Right? Isn't that what she's doing? They, they, they created their own religious activities so that they could avoid dealing with kind of the sin issues that were going on. You know, and, and this whole section kind of made me think, why, why is it that we obey God? Why do you obey God on a daily basis? Why, why do you tell your kids to obey God? And I was thinking about that, and luckily, you know, Gospel Coalition, they just post up on my Facebook, oh, yeah, I can, I can steal that. They did a little thing on kind of what our proper devotion should be for obeying God. Dan Doriani talked about, you know, there's three traditions that are, that are better than, you know, I obey God to get stuff. That's the really bad one, right? I obey God so he might give me, you know, we, we know that one's wrong. Or I obey God just because I fear him. You know, that, that, that's pretty bad, too. But the three that at least have some wisdom to them, or some truths to them, are the, what he calls the, the way of wisdom, the way of trust, and the way of gratitude. One, the way of wisdom, right, says that, well, it's responsible to obey God. He created all things. He knows how they work. Therefore, we should be, expect his commands to be effective, right? So, so we obey God because since he created everything, then things will go well with me, right? Well, that's true. Right? I mean, God gives us commands because they're, they're right. It's for our greater joy, but that's not the whole truth. The way of trust says that God loves us and would never mislead us. 
Therefore, our behavior should be as he directs. If we trust him and he's trustworthy, then things should work out, right? In the same way that, that our God has shown himself to be trustworthy, so we should listen to him. Well, I mean, there's some truth to that. And, of course, the way of gratitude, of course, because God has saved us, right? I'm not having luck with the old microphone today. We should trust him, right? Because he's shown himself to be faithful. Of course, all of these are inferior to the way of love, right? That we should have this overwhelming passion for the Lord our God. We should love him. So the, he, he quotes uh, Bernard of, of Covert, who says, The soul that loves God seeks no other reward than the God whom it loves. Were the soul to re- demand anything else, then it would neither, certainly love that saying more than it does God. And that's the greatest truth. But that's the one, that's the flame that's hardest to keep flickering, isn't it? A pure love of God. If you imagine that you're walking down a path that, and, and trying to hold a candle lit. And if, if you're trying to guard the wind from, from blowing it out. I mean, just pure love is, is hard. You know, and I think God does give us these stories to, to show us that God is wise, that God is trustworthy, right? And that we, that, and he is gracious, so we should have gratitude, that those things help us keep that flame going. And I would say when we grow in our understanding of our covenant Lord and his infinite wisdom, and we are reminded again and again of his faithfulness, that he alone is worthy of our trust. And when we dwell on his grace and his mercy on our lives and the lives of his covenant people, how can we not love him more? So as we go about, sometimes when we don't feel that love, right? So what do we do? You know, I, I'm just not really feeling the love for God today, so I think I'm just going to do things my way. Right? I mean, we might do that with our spouse. You know, I'm just not feeling that love for my spouse today, so I think I'm just going to pretend I'm not married. How's that going to work out? Not very well. So sometimes we have to, to reorient ourselves to, to, to God's wisdom, trusting that he is a faithful God and being thankful for his grace and mercy in our lives and focus on those things to help guard us. And, and as we contemplate those things, we, we come to understand who he is as our covenant Lord. And hopefully our love for him will be ignited because we, like the people in this story, often forget well, as we see in this story in the verses 1 through 6, again, it doesn't just stop with the one kid's sin, right? Not only does he steal and the mom's like, yeah, let's get a little bit of religion here. Let's, let's get some religious activity. That's going to help. But, but, but their default is to go straight to making an idol, right? Their default is let's just, you know, take this silver and carve an image. Now, at least none of us are guilty of that. Has anybody got any idols at their home? You guys struggling with this? You know, carved images, put some incense in front of it, do a little, little chant. No, I was struggling with this for a while, but not, not, you know, I think I'm over it. But what, but what is idolatry today? Uh, Keller has a good little book on idolatry. It is, see, little. And he says, what is an idol? It is anything more important than, to you than God. Anything that absorbs your heart and imagination more in God. Anything you seek to give what only God can give. A counterfeit God is anything so central, so essential to your life that if you should lose it, your life would feel hardly worth living. 
And he goes on, and I'm going to run out of time if I read the whole section. But we all have idols. Some are intellectual, right? The, t- the title of this book, The Empty Promises of Money, Sex, Power, and Other Things That Give You Hope. All of those things can be our idols. I remember reading one book that was talking about kind of what is our ideology or what do you trust in. And I remember just kind of looking at my bookshelves. I've got lots of bookshelves filled with books on theology, you know, rows and rows of books on theology. And sometimes I wonder, is, is my hope in the God that those books talk about? Or, or am I trying to gain some kind of prestige and honor because I got all these books? You know, and what is it in your life? Is it, do you get your significance out of your kids or your, your job or whatever? What are those things in your life that, that you love so much and you put all your passions in that somehow distract you from the God that gave you them? And we all struggle with those things. Because we live in the, a world where we idolize ourselves. The idol self with our wants and our desires blow heavy against the flame of our love against the Lord. All of those things begin to flicker it out. Well, moving on here, we got a, I, I got about five, ten more minutes before Chris will shoot me um, to read another chapter and a half of, of this passage. So the next section here is the, the convenience over devotion. Beginning here in verse 7. Now there was a young man from Bethlehem in Judah, of the family of Judah, who was a Levite. And he sojourned there, and the man departed from the town of Bethlehem to Judea, to sojourn where he could find a place. And he journeyed, and he came to the hill country of Ephraim, to the house of Micah. And Micah said to him, Where do you come from? And he said to him, I am a Levite of Bethlehem in Judah, and I sojourned here to find my place. And Micah said to him, Stay with me, and you can be a father and a priest, and I will give you ten pieces of silver a year for your, suitable for your clothes and your living. And the Levite went in, and the Levite was content to dwell with the man, the young man, became to him like one of his sons. And Micah ordained the Levite, and the young man became a priest. And he was in the house of Micah, and Micah said, Know that I know now that I have, now the Lord will prosper me, because I have a Levite as priest. Okay, so things aren't going so well, right? The, the, the Levite was supposed to be a priest in the tabernacle. The Levite was supposed to be a priest to the, to the Lord Yahweh, to the covenant God of the scriptures. And, and, and somebody just says, yeah, I'll, I'll offer you a good position. Here's a, you know, 20 grand a year retirement plan, a new set of clothing, and you can live here and we can set up to worship this idol. Yeah, sounds good to me. I mean... What would be the modern parallel to that? I was thinking, you know, what job could Chris take and leave little Cross Creek Church that would be kind of parallel, like, like some little crime family that's running some kind of Ponzi scheme or something? You know, hey, they got a little gambling ring over here. This bookkeeper needs kind of a personal consultant. And I think I'm just going to go live in his house for a while. You know, it's, it's a little bit more money than the church is paying me. So I think it's going to be good for me. I think I'll go there. I mean, that's that's really what is comparable? It's as if he just said, yeah, forget what I'm called to. This is going to be more convenient. I think we all can, can, can say that at times our calling and our devotion to the Lord our God can, can be diluted in face of our daily bread. And we're willing to compromise so much because of comfort. 
It becomes so easy. I'm as guilty as anyone. But now what's interesting, if you just look at the story as a whole, here this guy steals some silver from his mom, gets caught, and now we've got a Levite that's supposed to be a priest of God. Now he's involved in, in serving idol worship in this far-off land. And then we get this whole story of the Danites, and I'm just going to have to paraphrase this entire story. But basically there's a, a, from the tribe of Dan who never got their inheritance of, of the land from Israel, some spies came in because they're kind of, you know, they were looking for some new property. Maybe like we're looking for some property. The tribe of Dan came in. They're looking for a little bit of property, some place to settle down. They didn't have any land of their own. And so some spies came in and they saw a Levite there. It's like, what's going on with him? And, and they found out they had this whole setup here. They got some idol worship. They got some gods. And they, they asked the Levite. So, so uh, we're thinking about going down up here to this uh, hillside and taking this land from this small group of people that seem to be pretty quiet and, you know, stick to themselves. And Levi goes, oh, well, yeah, things are going to go well with you. No, will the Lord be with us? No, is this what we ought to do? Just, will we triumph? Right? They, they were looking for conquests. Matter of fact, there was a piece of land that wasn't even supposed to be theirs. Not only did the tribe of Dan fall into idolatry, because they eventually say, you know, what would be really good for us? Why don't we steal the Levite priest and the idol and all the stuff from Micah's house? And now we can travel around. And so now we can have our own little temple of our own. So this little tribe of Dan comes in, visits. Micah thought he had things going pretty well for him. He's got his own little temple worship going on. He's got his own priest. These four guys come in. They see everything he's got. They go back and they say, hey, there's a priest over here. He thinks things are going to go pretty well for us. So 600 men from the tribe of Dan come knocking on the Levite's door. And they say there in, uh, beginning from verse 7 to uh, the verse 11, they come knocking on the Levite's door and say, so how's it going? Levite said, you know, what, what, what are you doing? You probably, you probably looked out the gate, saw 600 men armed for battle. Probably was really wondering how well it was going for him. Because it wasn't going to go well. And all of a sudden, these 600 men start taking all the stuff, taking the temple worship, and Levi's going, what's going on? It's like, we're going to go down here and take away all this land uh, that these other people have, and it's, it's going to be really nice for us. You want to come and be our priest? Why should you stay here with one family when you can come and be a priest for 600 people? He's like, oh, that sounds great. You know, that's exactly what we'd expect. You know, it'd be like Chris, who, who started working for a family that was running a little Ponzi screen, says, hey, I think I might go work for an entire mob family. You know, he says, oh, yeah, that'll just work out great for me. I have, you know, doubled the income. It'll be pretty good. I can still do some idol worship. It's going to be a wonderful day. So the tribe of Dan, even though they weren't supposed to get that land, um, even though that land was not supposed to, and, and also they went down and they slaughtered the people and took the land. And if you look back in Deuteronomy um, 20, verse 10 through 18, it shows that although the people of God were supposed to come in and take the land that was allotted to them, when they were people that were not of the Canaanites, they were supposed to offer peace. They were supposed to come into peace with the people of the land and, and offer peace with them. But when the, when the people would war against them, then they were justified and taking their allotted place of land. But this was not the land that the Danites were supposed to have. And so they warred against an innocent group of people. And that also, 
And so what we see here, the, the, their flame for the love of God had deteriorated so much that one tiny sin, right, stealing a small piece of silver, led to a family sin of creating some idol worship, which led to a tribal sin of the Danites coming in and trying to steal all these idols and set up the idols for themselves and taking land that did not belong to them. And that's how the chapter ends. It's kind of like, have a nice day. You know, no happy story. No, no ray of hope in the story at all. It's the delving into kind of the ultimate failure of God's people in this time. So, in a few minutes I have left, or the, the lack of few minutes I have left, what about this entire story has, do we even begin to say, oh, here, here's why my life can be relevant to what's going on in this passage. Well, I want to think about at least three different things. One, over and over in this passage, and in the passage that, that Chris will be going through next week, it says uh, in verse 17, chapter 17, verse 6, In those days there was no king in Israel. Everyone did what was right in its own eyes. See, because there was no king, they were not faithful to the law. Because they were not faithful to the law, they continued to delve into greater curses of the covenant. But we have a king. We have King Jesus that sits on the right hand of God our Father and makes intercession towards us. We also have a renewed covenant that has greater blessings. Not like the covenant that was made of old, that was just of the letter. But in this covenant, we can now live by the power of the Spirit. Now we look at this story and go, oh, shame on them. Right. I would never be like Micah. Right. I would never be like this Levite who just gave up his religious convictions just to get a better gig. And I would never be like the Danites and take stuff that doesn't belong to me, let alone fall into idol worship themselves. But we do those kinds of things all the time. But we have a greater hope that as Ephesians 1, 13 through 14 say in him, you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation and believed in him, you were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise and the glory of God. We have this hope of this life in the spirit. There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus for the law of the spirit of life has set you free from the. From of Jesus Christ from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do. By sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us, who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. But those who live according to the Spirit, the thing, their minds on the things of the Spirit. You know, when we look at these passages, we think about all those different struggles. And if you get anything out of the, the, the mess of microphones and disasters of outline and time running out, is every one of us understands that we have this call to love the Lord our God with all of our heart, our soul, and our mind. And to love our neighbor as ourselves. And if we're honest with each other, we know we fail to do that. Every moment of every day. But the scriptures remind us that if we walk in the spirit. 
that God is the one that helps that flame stay lit. That regardless of how powerful the winds that weigh, no matter how powerful the the cares of your life, no matter how strong your desires to sin against the Lord your God, if you truly do trust in Christ as your Lord and Savior, then God has sealed you with the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit says that there is no condemnation now. That the Spirit is alive in you to keep that flame lit no matter how strong that wind blows. Whether that sin is your cares of this world, whether that, sin, that wind is the sins of this life. If you're trusting in the Spirit of God, then you know that that flame can stay lit. And when you feel that that flame isn't being lit, when, when you say, well, here's my candle and, and yeah, not much flame. Do you just say, well, I'm just going to gut it out and, 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 and make sure I'm doing a lot of religious activity. Is that going to fix it? No. Well, I'm just going to follow the wisdom of God. Is that going to do it by itself? No. Am I just going to be thankful? No. You, you've got to rely on the Spirit of God and trust in Him that only He can ignite that flame. So as we go from here today, let us trust in the one that not only lights that candle, but keeps it lit in our lives. And let us hold truth to our covenant Lord because He will carry it on to completion. So that we know that I know that I have life only in so far as I have love. I have no love except to come from thee. Do you believe that today? That you have no love in your heart from God except it come from him? Do you think that you can be better than Micah, the Levite or the Danonites? Let us pray together and plead with our Lord and our God for his aid. Help me, please, O Lord. Father, to to carry this candle, this, this candle of my love for you and my devotion to you against the wind of this life of of the passions of my flesh, of my desires for significance or, or, or whatever idols that maybe I don't even realize myself. Father, I I pray that we as a people would again just confess those things that stand in opposition to you, that cause us to walk contrary to you, that cause us to not see your covenantal love upon our hearts and our lives. Father, Holy Spirit, come now in our hearts, ignite those flames that no wind can flicker out. We praise you for your word in Jesus' name. Amen.